Hey folks, I'm David Goldstein. And I'm Brian Brinkman. And you are listening to the seventh episode of the Beyond the Pond podcast. This is the podcast in which Brian and myself utilize the music of Fish to introduce the listener to other bands that we think you will like. Yeah, this is our seventh episode. We're going to be talking about the 629-1995 David Bowie from uh, Jones Beach uh, in New York. Um, we're going to be do, we're going to do something a little bit different uh, differently with this episode uh, from a structural standpoint. So typically, what we've done is uh, we've highlighted a jam, uh, played a significant portion of the jam, and then played like five or six songs that we think fit various aspects of the jam. This being a near 30-minute jam, a summer 95 jam, there is a ton going on in there. So what we've done today is we've broken this jam up into four very significant, very different sections, and we've picked out a specific song, a single song that goes along with that jam, and we've kind of recorded this in a really unique way that I think is going to help to see where some of Fish's best jamming really bleeds into different styles of music. So definitely excited for you guys to, uh, to, to, to listen to this. And some of the themes that we're going to explore in this episode are challenging Fish, post-rock, skronk, and use of repetition. And on that note, let's get to some Fish. So the 629-1995 David Bowie. So uh, I'm personally really excited that we're talking about a Summer 95 jam. Uh, Love this tour. Lots of huge, huge jams. Really excited that we're finally tackling David Bowie, one of Fish's signature jam vehicles. Um, One of the reasons that we picked this, this is a really characteristic Summer 95 jam. It's very challenging. It's kind of skronky. There's really no room to breathe throughout this. Um, it's a jam that's not trying to be your friend. It's experimental almost to a fault. Um, and, you know, it was very clear when you listen to these jams and when you get a sense of uh, the fan base at the time, it's clear that not everyone was in love with the movement that was going on Summer 95. Yeah, this Bowie jam and um, the other big ones from Summer 95 that we're going to just uh, just touch upon briefly. Um, in comparison to, say, even on uh, the Providence Bowie, like December 29th, 1994, that has some really melodic soaring bits. December 3rd, 97, another big Bowie with melodic soaring, uh, some like trade major key stuff. This one doesn't have any of that. Yeah, and I would say, you know, this is probably the least well-known of the big Bowies of Summer 95. Some of the reasons we think for this, it was the second night of a two-night run. Uh, this was overshadowed by a really intense tweezer on 628. Um, the recording quality for the show isn't super uh, high. The one on uh, Fish OD 
Um, it's kind of one of the lower quality ones of Summer 95, so people haven't really passed this around, even though the set list and uh, the, the playing throughout it is really fantastic. Um, and the previous Bowie, 624, is fantastic. The Bowie from uh, the Man Music Center in Philadelphia. Um, David, what are some of the big Bowies that you like from uh, from Summer 95? Well, obviously, there's uh, there's Atlanta from June 15th. Um, there's Deer Creek, June 19th. Like you said, The Man from June 24th, which has it's got like a really quiet psychedelic midsection that um, it kind of sounds like Trey's about to go into 20 years later, except that in 1995 that song was but a twinkle in its creator's eye, so to speak. And then um, there's the one from Sugarbush that goes into Johnny Be Good and then back into David Bowie. Just hearkening back to what you're talking about, the soundboard, I've been looking for a really crisp recording of this show for a very long time, and I haven't been able to find one. So if uh, anyone out there in podcast land has something that they would want to share or something that we're not aware of, please add us, because it's a fantastic show that I would like the crispest recording possible. Yeah, absolutely. And um, before we dive into a a bit of an overview of the show, uh, just... A few big jams from Summer 95 that you all should be aware of if you are not. Uh, Summer 95, again, is a very jam-heavy, very experimental tour for the band. Um, Pretty much every night that they played, they were going 20, 25-plus minutes. Some nights up in the 40s, up in the 50s. uh, Just really, really um, intentionally experimental jamming. Um, Just kind of starting through the the start of the tour, 6-8. uh, Tweezer, uh, 610 from Red Rocks, had a really intense long mics. Uh, 614, you've got the Mud Island Tweezer, the 50-minute Tweezer, the longest jam fish played until the uh, Worcester Runaway Gym. Um, on 616, uh, they played a 30-minute Runaway Gym uh, at uh, Walnut Creek. 617, Tweezer into Johnny B. Good, back into Tweezer. And on uh, June 20th, 1995, from the Blossom Music Center in Cuyahoga Falls, one of my favorite shows of that tour was a fantastic Mike song. And then, of course, June 22nd was uh, in the second set, the famous Fleezer. That was the um, Canandaigua show, mm-hmm. the Finger Lakes, thus the Fleezer. June 25th, huge Mike song. June 26th from SPAC, of course, there's the big Down with Disease into Free. That was a very recent and very awesome live fish release. You've got June 28th, the Tweezer, Dave's Energy Guy into Tweezer, which I would go on record as not liking at all. But, <laughs> you know, minds can differ. June 30th from Great Woods, huge mics. This was uh, the summer of 1995. Might have been the last time when hearing a mic song was uh, just about a guaranteed money shot. And then you got July 1st, um, huge stash and huge put open and melt. And then um, on July 2nd, the first night of the uh, two-night trigger bush run, huge tweezer as well. Um, but getting back to this show, 629.95, um, Dave, I know that you were at this show. Want to talk just a little bit about what it was like being there? Well, this has a lot of nostalgia for me because this was my second show. 
My first show, yeah, the first one was on the night before, June 28th, 95. Me and some buddies, who I still see fish shows with to this day, we stayed at my grandmother's house in Roslyn, New York, on Long Island, which is about 25 to 30 minutes away from Jones Beach. I know we spent a good deal of the afternoon on Jones Beach itself. I know uh, we played some Ultimate Frisbee with some dudes that are probably about three to four years older than us. They um, had a notebook. We asked about the notebook, and they said, oh, we're taking notes because we want to publish on Fishnet. So who knows? I didn't get their names. Maybe uh, there's some of the Fishnet guys that we know and love at this point. But it was um, the weather on that day was slightly foggy, and the fog kind of broke at uh, during showtime. And what was interesting about this set in particular was that the June 28th, 1995 show, uh, there was a very 1994 style set list. I mean, we'd been hearing about all these new songs that, of course, end up on Billy Breeze just by seeing them in like set lists and um, Doniac Vice, or you log on to your computer to like the Prodigy Network to see what the heck the band played the night before. You know, we were hearing about um, the songs that they had played back on um, May 16th, 1995 at the Lowell gig, like Theme from the Bottom and Free and Ta- um, and not a single one of those songs is played on 628. Right. So on 629, they kind of go in the opposite direction and they overcompensate because at that show they played Taste, Free, Strange Design, Acoustic Army, and the encore was Theme from the Bottom. I remember Free opened up the second set and my buddy had never heard it before. He turned to me and said, Dave, this is probably the best song that Fish has ever played. <laughs> Whether or not that was true is up for debate, but when it's your second Fish show, every song feels like a gift. I'm sure you've and never heard that at any other Fish show. <laughs> no. No, 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 no. I mean, even night one, we were like, foam! Holy shit, they're playing foam! It's... I was 15 years old. It felt like a gift. It was a great, great thing. But the 629 show, it completely holds up. I really prefer that to 628, mostly because of uh, the huge jams in the second set. In addition to the Bowie, there was a gigantic You Enjoy Myself with an insane drum and bass section. I was even insane for uh, Summer 95. Um, Other highlights of that show, the opening... Runaway Jim, it had teases of the Breeder song Cannonball, which was teased the night before, so you've got that continuity. It had a huge split open and melt before uh, the acoustic uh, Carolina closer in the first set. And of course, they played A Day in the Life at that show. I think they played, I don't know if this is true, but it felt like in 1995 they played A Day in the Life almost every other show. Yeah. yeah so even yeah, though. Quite a bit. It's a Beatles classic. It almost, to me, it felt like a Billy Breed song just because they're playing it so goddamn much. Mm-hmm. And so this is, uh, uh, once again, this has been, uh, this was a show played at Jones Beach, which is a, sh- a venue that Fish has played uh, throughout a number of eras. Uh, they started playing Jones Beach really early back in 1992. Uh, they played two dates at Jones Beach, both for the Horde Tour as well as uh, opening for Santana. Uh, they played there again in 93. Uh, great 
Buried Alive in a Rift in a Caravan opener and a fantastic antelope. Um, and then the night before the tour closer in summer 94, they played there and played the first letter to Jimmy Page in 357 shows. Um, so really early fish shows there. And then they wouldn't play Jones Beach again until the uh, second run of uh, the 3.0 era. I was at that first night, June 2nd, 2009, which fun show that kind of felt like a dress rehearsal. That gets you your first dealing time from the faulty plan, your first kill double falls. Um, Only time I ever saw If I Could, which is kind of cool. But, you know, those three shows were kind of fish getting their feet wet more than anything else. Yeah, you've got a lot of 3.0 debuts. You've got a um, the first real Siegfest set on 6.5, which sounds very, very much like a sketch of a Siegfest now um, with, with how they've been playing the last couple of years. But um, they returned to Jones Beach the next summer, 8.17 and 8.18, 2010. Uh, perhaps the best number line that's ever been played was played on 8.17. I love that jam. I think it's uh, one of the strongest jams that summer tour. They would then we return uh, for uh, two years. Uh, they did their 4th of July run. Loads of rarities. Uh, just kind of going through, we made a list here of all the big uh, bust-outs from, uh, from that run. First skin it back in 1,417 shows, which I believe is the longest gap they've ever played. A song. Yeah. Is that correct? I think that is correct. I think it was the Fuck Your Face from Charlotte 2010, and then this surpassed it. Um, Happiness is a Warm Gun, first in 658 shows. Head Held High, first in 356. Uh, the man who stepped in yesterday, Avenue Malkinu, and into the man who stepped in yesterday in 136. Bittersweet Motel, first in 132, uh, and the first Purple Rain in 314 shows. So, uh, lots of people's fish, uh, uh, Zizek's fish stats uh, took a huge jump uh, during those shows. And the last time they played Jones Beach was July 12, 2013. Which, despite having a fantastic Segway Fest in set two, for those that were there, will know it for the rain. <laughs> it rained, and the rain came down to say that show was just rainy is an understatement on the level of saying our current president is just not very good. <laughs> but, uh... Yeah, some guy at that show gave me, like, a small, like, airplane-sized bottle of bourbon in the bathroom. He's like, here, you're going to need this to survive. And he wasn't wrong. That's the most uncomfortable I've ever been at a fish show. But it was a good show. And on that note, let's stop talking about the weather patterns at Jones Beach and start talking about uh, David Bowie from June 29th, 1995. want to give a brief overview of the somewhat nebulous genre 
of music known as post-rock. It's essentially, it's a pretty silly catch-all for bands with um, a traditional guitar, bass, drums, keyboard setup, but they use them for textures and rhythms not generally associated with rock music. Which is basically, it's a fancy way of saying they don't sound like Weezer or Van Halen or what have you. I mean, really, nothing with a post-rock band will work on classic rock radio. And post-rock bands are often largely instrumental. You know, I've heard terms like jazz rock, avant rock can be more than a little cerebral and nerdy, often primed for chin-stroking and staring at the stage. And we're going to talk more about the post-rock genre when we get to talking about some of the bands that we feature here um, going forward in this episode. But I think the main things to take away is that usually adjectives such as angular, somewhat scronky with the guitars, and, um, you know, I think probably the best way would be to listen to the segments of David Bowie with the bands that we have here forthwith to get the best idea of the genre. saying at the top of the episode, uh, we're doing something a little different with this episode. We've got our David Bowie jam broken down into four segments and a song associated with each segment. Um, the first uh, section of the jam that we're going to talk about um, uh, is associated, we, we've associated with a, a band called Dawn of Midi and their song Nyx off of uh, their 2013 record Dysnomia. Uh, Dawn of Midi is a trio. Uh, it's a grand pianist, uh, and I apologize ahead of time if I butcher any of these names, but it's a, a guy in grand piano named Amino Belayamini, Bele uh, uh, Kazim Nakvi on drums, and uh, Akash Israni on stand-up bass. Uh, these guys all formed in L.A. in 2007, but they've been in Brooklyn since 2011, and Probably one of the peaks of their careers uh, happened a year ago. They opened for Radiohead at Madison Square Garden during the Moon Shaped Pool Tour. Maybe the peak of most careers, I'd say. Yeah, that's a pretty good uh, <laughs> uh, capper. <laughs> stands uh, out on stands out on your CV. That totally does. <laughs> um, uh, the goal of this album. So these guys uh, have aspects of free jazz. And they have aspects of, uh, like, Steve Reich uh, repetition. Um, the goal with this record when they made it was to simply play as few notes as possible in spiraling repetition. So as you hear when we get to the uh, song segment, is uh, they're, they're focusing very, very heavily on what happens when you hear the same notes over and over and over again and what subtle shifts do to a song at that point in time. Um, so there's uh, sustained periods of total music and rhythmic separation met with brief periods of incredibly rewarding unity. Um, for Fish fans, think in terms of tension and release. So where Fish will sometimes build a jam and build a jam and build a jam and then they'll peak and then they'll go into this great blissful period. You get aspects of that and elements of that with Don and Mitty. 
Um, the result of it is something that's built really organically. It's almost plotted as though it's planned out in a very intentional way and with organic instruments, but it feels very abstract, improvised, as well as electronic. But um, want to uh, get into this here right now. So what you're going to hear first is a snippet of uh, the first segment of the David Bowie jam that we've selected. And then it's going to fade into uh, Don and Mitty, uh, Nick's, and you'll hear a lot of the similarities, I think, uh, about why we picked this song to go along with this section. So enjoy. that you enjoyed that first segment of David Bowie Jam as well as Dawn of Midi's Nicks. 
moving right along, we've got another segment of uh, David Bowie to play for you. So um, one thing that you'll notice as you hear these segments is how they don't even sound like they're a part of the same jam. And a lot of what Fish does nowadays with uh, jamming um, is so completely different from what they were doing in Summer 95. Um, personally, I feel like they wouldn't be able to do what they do nowadays if they didn't go through this period of truly intentional and really difficult experimentation. Um, but a lot of, uh, as, as we talked about earlier, a lot of people found it a really challenging period to go through. And part of the reason for that was that there were so many ideas and so many battling ideas happening all at once. Um, but there were moments throughout these jams, throughout the entire summer tour, of actual beauty. Um, it kind of moments where it comes out of like this chaotic noise and spiraling repetition. Um, but one of those segments is one that we're going to play right now. Um, and we're going to associate it with a song called Made in Hong Kong uh, by Christian Fenizes uh, off of his 2001 record, Endless Summer. Uh, Christian Fenizes is a Austrian guitarist and composer. Um, he uses the guitar as well as a Mac notebook to make multi-layered compositions. Uh, he focuses on blending melodies with electronic influences, something that you'll hear a lot in this David Bowie as well as um, the segment of Made in Hong Kong that we're going to play. So this record, Endless Summer, again, it came out in 2001. Uh, this is his third record, and it's his most recognized and renowned. Um, he uh, put his debut LP out in 97 uh, called Hotel Parallel, uh, or Hotel Parlay, excuse me, which saw him utilize glitch influences for the first time. Um, and he's collaborated with uh, producer and experimental musician extraordinaire Jim O'Rourke, uh, famous for his work uh, with Wilco, uh, but he collaborated with Fenezes in 2016 on It's Hard for Me to Say I'm Sorry. Um, one thing that he's no, really well known for is he helped to push electronic music past the genre and into wider popular music, uh, while he also was able to show the potential for the genre for musicians who wanted to incorporate more traditional song structure and ideas. So he really was taking um, what was typically known as, you know, just simply dance music and incorporating uh, traditional song structures, incorporating um, uh, acoustic instruments and um, more, more uh, uh, traditional uh, uh, instruments and uh, building those within electronic soundscapes. Uh, this song, or, excuse me, this album, Endless Summer, was the number two album of 2001 on Pitchfork. Uh, really shows you you know, where they were thinking in 2001, where, um, and if you listen to this, uh, you'll get a sense of kind of where music was going in the early to mid-2000s as dance music continued to creep in uh, into rock music and into um, indie rock especially. So we're going to play the second section of the David Bowie jam, and again, it's going to fade into uh, Made in Hong Kong by Fenezes.
So this is the portion of the podcast where we take a bit of a break and just talk about some albums that Brian and myself um, have been digging as of late. So I will begin. I've been listening to a record by a band called Moon Duo. Albums called Occult Architecture Part Two. Yes, there is indeed an Occult Architecture Part One, which came out earlier in the year, but Part Two came out more recently. Moon Duo is, um, you know, I'm not even sure of the dude's name. I just know that I think, believe it's either him and his wife or him and his girlfriend. And basically, the only thing that they do is a kind of shoegaze kraut rock. They're very big on repetition. Notes will be repeated throughout the course of an eight-minute song. But they're very good at pleasant shoegaze melodies. It's like every song kind of makes you want to drive into the sunset or lay back in the sun, almost to the point where the repetition becomes a virtue. And... I'll call Architecture Volume 2 is supposed to be the sunnier counterpart for the somewhat darker Volume 1, which is it is the same kind of thing, but it's marginally darker than Volume 2. But once again, going back to Episode 2 of this podcast, if you like shoegaze, if you like something that sounds great in the background, to kick back with a beer, close your eyes, and stare at the sky. There really aren't too many better records I've found for doing that. And anybody who's familiar with the band Wooden Ships, which also kind of thrives on repetitious rock, uh, the front man in Moon Duo is the same as the front man in Wooden Ships. They're kind of the same band. Wooden Ships kind of veer more classic rock, Easy Rider soundtrack, whereas Moon Duo is more like straight-up Brit-style shoegaze. But if you think that would be your thing, I would recommend the album highly. Um, an album review I recently read kind of described them as pastry chefs and that what they make, it scratches an itch. You can't live on it. But for a certain time and place, I think it's pretty fantastic. Brian, what do you got? Uh, I've got a record that I've been kicking around for a few weeks here and uh, have just always kind of find it as a go-to of this year. Um, Hooray for the Riff Raff's new record, The Navigator, came out, I believe, in mid-March. Um, it just keeps popping up uh, in my rotation. I've been loving it. Um, this is their sixth LP. This is a uh, full-on concept record. This is... Uh, in some cases, based off of the lead singer-songwriter uh, uh, Alinda Lee Segarra's experience crisscrossing the U.S. on greyhounds and freight trains, um, it harkens back in some ways to... It's, it's very folksy. Uh, it feels like... Uh, kind of like a record I showcased a few weeks ago, a few episodes ago, uh, the Mari Stewart record, uh, Way Out West. It just has a very epic... Uh, Americana feel to it, though this is much more urban uh, than that record was. Um, one of the early tracks on the record, Living in the City, is just some of the purest folk pop bliss that I've heard this year. Um, when it first came out in March, it just felt like June with the sun down, or with the, the um, uh, windows down. Just amazing, amazing, happy, very blissful stuff. The lyrics throughout the record are fantastic. Her voice is haunting and a little bit smoky. Uh, it's uh, just 
I love everything about it. Every time I put it on, um, it's one of those records that I just keep getting new lyrics that pop out to me. Um, the backing instrumentation uh, has enough uh, uh, like Easter eggs to really make you listen again and, uh, and, and find something new to listen to every time you hear it. Uh, and it flows in a really, really fantastic way. So it's definitely something that I can throw on for uh, the long haul. Uh, definitely would recommend it. Hooray for the Riff Raff, the Navigator. Now we're going to listen to the third segment of the David Bowie Jam. Um, at this part, I think this is about 1330 in the jam. It got slightly more rocking, slightly more heavy. And as such, I'm going to talk about a band called Unwound. Now, Unwound was a trio of Justin Trosper, who was uh, the guitarist and lead vocalist, Vern Rumsey was the bass player, and Sarah Lund on drums. They were um, a band in existence from, I want to say, 1991 to 2001 in Olympia, Washington. They recorded on the Kill Rockstars label, which was in uh, Olympia, Washington based, and I think eventually Portland, Oregon uh, as well based label. Uh, Kill Rockstars is kind of famous for um, fomenting the Riot Girl movement in the early 90s. They really um, sought to document many of uh, the punk bands around Olympia, Washington. They're also notable for putting out records from Slater Kitty, an Olympia, Washington band who, you know, you get me on a right day, I'll say they're probably the greatest American rock band of all time. So with Unwound, they were trio. I would really like to describe the music as quite angular. It was very bass heavy. Um, it kind of derived from um, some hardcore bands from the Pacific Northwest. Quite distant guitar riffing, heavy bass downstrokes. And we talk about post rock. You could almost describe Unwound as post hardcore. It's sort of dark. The vocals weren't so much sung as they were chanted. And of their seven albums, uh, their swan song in 2001 was Leaves Turn Inside of You. And it was easily their best, in my opinion. Uh, in order to make it, they put together their own recording studio. It's the crispest sounding. It's also extremely haunting. It's a double album. It's got two songs that stretch nearly or over 10 minutes. There really aren't any songs under four minutes. And in addition to their bass guitars and drum attack, some of the songs also featured um, some string orchestration. Uh, it's kind of, it was released in April of 2001 between Radiohead's Kidae and Amnesiac. And I kind of think of this album as being like a hardcore rock companion to those those two albums. I know it came out my senior year of college and people were like freaking out just over the sheer quality of this record. And it's also worth noting that the Numero Group, which is a label that really only specializes in doing reissues, uh, back in two back in twenty thirteen Unwound sold the rights to the music to the Numeric Group, and they put together some fantastic vinyl box sets detailing all seven of their albums. So the song that we're going to play from Leaves Turned Inside You is called December. It's the third song on that album, and it kind of features some um, a quick, repetitious rock groove that really reminds us of this portion of the David Bowie 
from 629-1995. So uh, let's play that right now.
hope you enjoyed that segment. So now we're going to detail the fourth and final segment of the David Bowie Jam. Um, at least as goes the improv. We're not going to touch upon the more traditional Bowie ending. So in this segment, which I think kicks in about 1845, we're going to talk about the band Tortoise, and we're going to play the song Salt the Skies off of the It's All Around You album, which came out in 2004. Now, somehow in the mid-1990s, Tortoise, they kind of became the standard bearer for a certain kind of post-rock associated with the city of Chicago and similar bands on the Thrill Jockey label. Uh, Some of these bands included Isotope 217, Underground Duo, Sea and Cake, and Lonesome Organist. And all of these bands contain members of each other, and they kind of... Use Chicago's Empty Bottle Club, like Tony Soprano and his boys used the Bada Bing, in the sense that they all broke down, they hung out, they played in each other's bands. And um, I went to college in at Rutgers in New Brunswick, New Jersey, and me and my friends would sit around and just fantasize about going to Chicago and hang out at the Empty Bottle, because for some odd reason, my friends loved these bands. I mean, you think of New Brunswick as kind of being home of uh, like basement hardcore shows. My crew is all about basement post-rock shows, which in retrospect was kind of as lame as it sounds, but you know, it's all good. But getting back to Tortoise, uh, they've undergone some lineup shifts, but the classic lineup, so to speak, consists of Jeff Parker on guitar, Johnny Herndon on drums, uh, John McIntyre on drums and percussion, Doug McCombs on bass and Dan Bittany also on percussion. I think he's the one responsible for the uh, the xylophone. I think um, up until their most recent album, which came out last year, they were entirely an instrumental band, and they kind of first made their mark with their second album, "Millions Now Living Will Never Die." It came out in 1996, and that opened with their legendary 20-minute song. DJed, which in and of itself kind of sounds like a 1995 Fish Jam. But uh, the track we're going to talk about here is uh, Salt the Skies. It kind of finds Tortoise more of their furious rock mode and better exemplifies the section of the David Bowie that we've got here. Uh, it's the closer on their 2004 album, It's All Around You. That album, uh, it kind of starts off with some songs that would perfectly soundtrack uh, and, and like an underwater nature documentary and it's got some straight up um scronky rock songs and then this song which at its peak it kind of sounds like an angry giant that's about to stomp on you so without further ado let's get to this uh segment of bowie and then followed by the tortoise song
All right. I hope you enjoyed that last segment of David Bowie, as well as Tortoise's Salt the Skies. Uh, just to rehash what we've done uh, in this episode. So, again, this was a little bit of a different episode. Uh, hoping you guys enjoyed it. Would love to hear your feedback on it. Uh, in terms of songs that we heard, so our first segment of the David Bowie Jam uh, ran from just around 8.15 to around 9 minutes. Uh, we focused on uh, Dawn of Midi's Nicks to complement that off of their 2013 record, Dysnomia. Uh, the next segment roughly came around 10 minutes and 10 seconds to about uh, 12.50 in the Bowie Jam. And that was complemented by uh, Christian Fenez's uh, Made in Hong Kong off of his 2001 masterpiece, Endless Summer. We then jumped ahead to quite a heavier segment from around 13.30 to 17.25, give or take a few. Uh, we used Unwound's December off of Leaves, Turn Inside of You, another 2001 record uh, to really showcase that jam sounds. Uh, and then finally we wrapped it up with the last segment of the Bowie Jam, about 18.45 to about 20.30, for those of you keeping track of times for the segment back at home. Um, we used Tortoise's Salt the Skies once again off of It's All Around You from 2004. And just a reminder of our social media links, if you want to get in touch with us, it's pretty easy. We're on Twitter at, at underscore beyond the pond. If you want to uh, check out our Medium page, we're at medium.com slash beyond the pond. And also, we update the Spotify playlist that will contain all the songs that are in this episode, as well as all the previous songs in every other episode of Beyond the Pond, giving you quite a handy-dandy thing which to press shuffle. So that can be found in Spotify, the Beyond the Pond podcast playlist. And in terms of our publishing structure, we are aiming to publish every other Tuesday. We give you something to look forward to on Tuesdays because Tuesdays have no feel. I hate Tuesdays, personally. (laughs) Yeah, we'll be back uh, in a couple Tuesdays. Um, We've got uh, one more. We're going to kind of mix things up here a bit over the summer. We've got one more uh, uh, Fish Jam episode. Then we're going to do a few different things. Really excited for that try to incorporate a little bit of summer tour along with a bit of what we do so excited to do that but uh thank you guys so much for coming out for our seventh episode our 007 we're excited to keep doing this and finally uh just wanted to say in the two weeks since we recorded the last episode we lost greg allman and i don't know about you brian but um when I was 13 years old and heard in memory Elizabeth Reed for the first time, I think it was like 11 o'clock at night on a small clock radio I had, I'd never heard anything like that before. It was the Marie's version. It completely blew my mind. And, you know, I mean, the Almond Brothers, without the Almonds, it can be argued that there would be no fish. There would certainly be no Southern Rock jam bands. There would certainly be no government mule. And, um... Greg had more than his fair share of health problems, but uh, I will miss him and his legacy dearly. Yeah, very, very sad loss. Um, I, uh, I definitely know uh, my dad had eat a peach playing on a regular basis throughout my childhood. It always feels like a sunny day every time you hear him. It's, uh, it's pretty amazing stuff. So definitely, definitely will be missed. Yeah, his uh, organ was incredibly 
incredibly warm, but he's up there now at uh, he's up there with Dwayne and Barry Oakley and probably having a quite incredible jam session. So, anyway. R.I.P. Greg. And on that somewhat somber note, I'm David Goldstein. I'm Brian Brinkman. And we'd like to invite you to come back in another two weeks together so we can go beyond the pond.